asking this question, what is church? What is the kerk? And today we want to look at the specific Greek word that Jesus chose when he said, on this I will build my church, on this rock. When he spoke to Peter, Peter said, I know that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus said, on that revelation that Jesus is the center point of Christianity, I'm going to build my church. And that Greek word is called ecclesia. Have you ever heard of that word? Ecclesia. So it's actually two words combined into one. The first part is ek, like in Afrikaans, the, the ek. And it means to, to go out. So if you think of an excursion, you go out somewhere and you enjoy yourself, that ek, it means outside, to go, go out. And then the ecclesia part is from the root, that word that is kaleo. Kaleo means to be called. So what Jesus is saying, say, and this group of people that I will call out, I will build this, I will build the, I will build the rock and the revelation that Jesus is Lord, but then I will build on this rock, I will build my people. And then he adds this, not even the gates of Hades, which is a metaphor for the strongest force of hell, the darkest place that you've ever been to, the most demonic, evil place of governance. And God says, not even that place will prevail against his ecclesia. And so his ecclesia, the first thing that I want to point out, his ecclesia is not the pastor over here, or the staff, or the leadership, or Jürgens and Oudsoring. The ecclesia is the assembly of the called out ones. So if you've said yes to Jesus, you've said, hey Lord, I ask now that you take me out of darkness into a place of light, and I'm willing to be your church. I'm a called out one. And those called out ones, if they start marching in unity under the commander, which is Jesus Christ, not even the strongest force of hell, not even if Eskom puts out all the lights, darkness will prevail. But the light will shine. And it's also in this context that Jesus uses a couple other metaphors for his church. He says, we are the salt. If you put salt into a soup, can you extract that salt? No. He also uses the metaphor of leaven. Leaven, if you put it into bread, can you extract it? No. It's intrusive. It just spreads all out throughout the dough. And then Jesus says, we are the light, a city on a hill, the light of the world. It's so easy to eradicate darkness when you walk into a room, when it's not load shedding. You just go to the light and you switch it on. So now we are building this picture of what church should look like. And we're thinking of, we are the church. We the called out ones, but we're also thinking that we have a job to do, and it's basically by positioning ourselves within the dough, within the darkness, 
within the soup, everything that's going out and happening in the world, we need to position ourselves within that context for us to be what we've called to be. Just by being there, you are getting the job done. And we're going to look at that specifically. So it's interesting that Jesus chose Ecclesia as the word to, to the, as the, the word to call his people the church, because they back in his day, there were other words also, like temple. He didn't say, "I'm going to build my temple on this rock, and not even the gates of Hades will prevail." He didn't say, "I'm going to build the synagogue." It's also a place where the Jews gathered for instruction and education. But he used a Greek word that the Romans copied and used as well, Ecclesia. And uh, Dr. Ed Solvoso in his book, The Ecclesia, he says that the definition of Ecclesia is this. The Ecclesia was an assembly of people commissioned by the emperor to introduce and implement the culture and laws of the empire. So this was a Roman word. So the Romans, they try to advance their kingdom, so they would call out a group of people and say, great, there's actually, there's a leader, which they called the apostle, also a word that, that Jesus stole from the Roman cultures. He says, okay, now go with the apostle, and then you inculturate those people. You be the salt and the leaven and the light within that context, so that at the end, everybody that's in that country, that land, that province will speak like the Romans and they will do like the Romans. The ecclesia of the Roman Empire was a powerful idea of normal people going with the leader, the apostle, to be sent out to a different country and then establish the rule and the reign and the culture. Of the, Roman, of the Roman Empire. So the function was for people to teach the language and the culture of Rome until the people walked and talked like Rome. And I believe this is where we're at in church history, is that God's saying we need to revisit that definition. When we spoke about this meeting uh, around with leadership and with staff, we said, let's not invite the whole town. Let's speak to the church. Let's take our database and we mail you and we SMS you if you've got more than four mails and three SMSs. <laughs> and we say, let's gather together. All three services here in George, the service in Oturang, the youth services, all together under one roof. Because we have a plan. We want to see the church mobilized to go out, to be the church. The ecclesia to be called out so that wherever they, can, where they go, that they will take the culture of the kingdom, the culture and the language of the kingdom so that God's reign will be established. So I want you to go to a portion of scripture in Luke, Luke 10. We're going to read from 1 to 24. We're going to do lots of scripture reading here in the city wall. I believe the walls need some scripture reading. And something that's interesting about this passage is 
we see just in the previous chapter that Jesus is sending out his disciples. So now think of the disciples as the A team. Now in in chapter 10, we get to where Jesus is now sending out the B team. But I want you to see the difference between what's happening in the A team's kind of ministry and what's happening in the B team's ministry. So in the A team, they went out, they were sent out, Jesus anointed them and said, hey, go and do what I've called you to do. And then they get to a boy with an unclean spirit, and the boy is constantly being thrown by these demons into the fire. And then the disciples went to Jesus and said, Jesus, but we cannot drive out these demons. In chapter 9. We cannot drive out these demons. And then Jesus, so frustrated with them, said, hey, how long will I have to stay with this faithless generation? They cannot even drive out a demon. Hi, this is my A-team. These are the people that I've called to now build my ecclesia, to build the culture of the kingdom. And they can't even drive out a demon out of a young boy. So he's frustrated. And by the way, Jesus can get frustrated. Every now and then I sense that he's a little frustrated with me, not because he's, he is angry or because he's not good, just because he understands that there's so much more that he has given me that I'm not taking taking hold of. I'm not understanding what he has placed inside of me through the power of the Holy Spirit and the message that he has already given me that he gets frustrated with Armour Kennedy. But then it's easy. It's, he's not wrong. I'm wrong. So I go to my quiet place and say, Lord, thank you that you believe enough in me to get a little frustrated with where I'm at. I'm also a little frustrated, Jesus, in my weakness, with my sin. But Lord, I choose now to not only repent away from my apathy or my lack of confidence or my boldness or the, the move of the Spirit that I'm seeing. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to not only distance myself from that, but I'm also walking towards you to receive more of you. Because you have a greater plan for me. You want me to be the salt and the light wherever I go. First at home, my kids should be able to say, hey, my pa is a luck and he's so. And your wife should be able to say the same. And then we need to go out. Wow, when I'm in the presence of that guy, of your unfestad, then I experience something else. Okay, so now let's get to the, to the B team. The A team obviously failed their assignment. Now let's get to the B team. All of you can think of yourself playing for the B team. So now look at this assignment given to the B team. We're reading from chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So he chose people to be apostles, but now, again, same word, he is apostoluing. Do you understand what I mean? 
send me two of his B team to now go to the places where he's about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he says, hey, there's an assignment. First, you need to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out more laborers. But we're going to see now, this is actually a divine setup. Who of you have prayed for a problem, you've said, Lord, I'm frustrated with that relationship. I'm frustrated in that area in business. I'm irritated here. Please change it. Please send somebody else. Send the pastor, send the business guy, send my mom, send somebody else. But now listen how Jesus beautifully just setting them up. First word in verse 3. Go. So you've identified the problem through prayer, but now I'm going to make you the solution. Go your way. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So it's going to be difficult. It's not always going to be easy. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house and if a son of peace is there your peace will rest upon him but if not it will return to you and remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages do not go from house to house beautiful jesus saying hey i'm sending you out but then i'm also going to give you a few tools this is how i would do it so you go to a random town, you enter a house, and you just say, peace. In Hebrew, shalom. And then because you carry the authority of Jesus Christ, you were sent out, you are the ecclesia, I'm going to honor your words, and I'm going to send the spirit of peace to look if there's somebody in that house in that household, in that business, in that school, where the peace should rest, and that peace will rest on that person. If Jesus is saying this, then this is true. It's a great strategy. What we've done here is we've come into the city wall and we've said, peace, shalom. Lord, where the government officials are sitting, even next door, may your peace rest on the men and the women of peace. And then he gives us another clue as to how to change this new culture that we want to immerse ourselves into. Eating and drinking. Who loves eating and drinking? So go and eat and drink with people. And then verse 9, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town 
that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable in that day for Sodom than for that town. Why? Because God is sending you out as ambassador. He's saying, if people receive you, they receive Jesus. And you carry the authority of the king. And you are stepping into that town, into that household, into that school classroom, into that business as an ambassador. And if people don't receive you, they're going to be in trouble. Our job is just to get it out there, just to be the salt and the light. By the way, some Christians use this to judge other people. Yes, I went into that friendship and then they rejected me. But it is, they rejected you because of your insecurities, because of your selfishness. And often because you wanted something out of that relationship, you didn't bring something to that relationship. When you walk into a household, into a business, into a relationship, you should come with something. You should have spent time with the Lord so that you can be able to say, peace. And when you bring that peace and they still reject you, yes, then go and take the dust off from your shoes, and God will deal with them. And he goes on, Woe to you, Gerizim, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in your had been done in Tyre and Sidon, and those were heathen towns, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in, in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears me, who, sorry, one who hears you, hears me, and the one who rejects you, rejects me, and the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And then verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So can you see the B team is getting it right? The A team, they struggled. They struggled with one demon. Now the B team... They're coming back and say, Lord, these small little demons, they acknowledge who we are, the ecclesia. They acknowledge that we are sent out by a higher power. We're pretty useless. We're not the super apostles that you send out in the previous chapter. We're just the 72, the B team. But even the demons acknowledge our authority. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's a beautiful picture of the church. So Jesus says, hey, well done. Now you know how I feel, walking in the authority of the Father. The darkness, they acknowledge me. The darkness know who I am. Sometimes demons know more of Jesus than the church knows of Jesus. I've often come across in counseling where demons say, just let's get this girl quiet. She must not stop praying. She must not acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord anymore. 
So they know the authority. And then Jesus says something profound. He says, but that's not what you should rejoice in. The fact that you have authority, the fact that you have power, that is just given. That's who we are in Christ. That is who you are as the ecclesia. But you should rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. And there's two meanings to your name being written in heaven. The one is that you have relationship with the one that governs heaven. So you have life. Most important thing. We want to celebrate that we have relationship with God. Most important thing. But the second thing that's also important to understand that is that the heavens, the realms that we cannot see, on an official document, it is written down that James Pringle's name's there. It's done. At the sons of Sceva, when the demons uh, responded to the sons of Sceva, they said, we know Jesus and we know Paul. So they know even the people that's written down in the book of life. It's known to the heavenlies. They know them. They know you. My dad tells a story of, of one of his congregation members was in a, in a pub in Paul. So at that time, he was at Dormany, uh, 45 kilometers from Paul in Rosamal. And then an occultist came to this guy and said, hey, we know who your Dormany is. My dad said he wanted to ask him, what are you doing in a pub? Maybe just evangelizing. Maybe he's just bringing the light. But God, God knows your name. But your name is also written into the book of life. And therefore you are a citizen in heaven. You're on their books. And you're just part of the B team. Oh, I cannot speak. I've never prayed longer than 15 minutes. But your name is there. And once you start walking in that position of authority, being the called out one that you already are, you're going to start seeing that demons are going to listen to you. And it will not necessarily be those voices that speak to you and say, hey, you shouldn't do that. But often it will just be like, wow, favor. Favor in your business, favor in your school, favor with people. People come into your office, cram into your office and say, Hey, can I eat my fish and chips here in your office? We've banned fish and chips and staff on staff. You're not allowed to eat fish and chips or eggs. Luke would often come and eat these boiled eggs in my office. Can you all just rebuke him now for that? The greatest compliments that we as a family have received are of people coming into a house, and I know what our house looks like. It's like old oats, and there's stuff on the carpets, and dogs all over the place, and the kids are screaming, and it's loud, and they're listening to music there, and there's a television on there, and then they would say, wow, so much peace. And Cornell and I, we just look at one another like, so much peace. 
But we know we're not insecure in the fact that God has called us out of darkness into a place of light, but also that He has given us peace and we are bringers of peace because the one who is the King of peace lives inside of us. And if people walk through our doors, they will experience peace no matter what the external circumstances look like. And often we don't claim that. We as the church, we don't claim that we have anything to give. But you have something to give because your name is written in the heavens. It's written down. It's an official document. The picture that I have is of the angels standing with those documents. Look here. I say, no. You dare touch them. You dare touch her. Stop it. They are part of us. If you go now and you go and bomb the USA embassy in Algeria, you're not making war with Algeria, you're making war with the USA. And that is who we are. We are little embassies, ambassadors for Christ. And then verse 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise, from the 18, and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So it says that Jesus went to his father. He saw the people coming back. He received the testimony. And he's like, okay, hang on. I just need to rejoice. And that word rejoice, it is not a rejoice like this. It is an exuberant praise of thanks. Even to the point of jumping. God's like, I'm so excited, they're getting it, the B team, they're getting it, they're getting it. The A team didn't do it, but the B team got it. Yes, it's working, God, our plan is working. Not the wise, but the foolish ones, the little children. We have called them, and they actually do it? Wow! I really believe that was Jesus' reaction. They are doing it. They're taking the city wall, and they're taking every family house. They're taking every school. They're taking every business sphere, influence. They're even cycling. <laughs> they're taking the hobbies. They're taking everything and just by being the peace. And I know that we can trust them. They will not become proud because they're just little children. They mess up all the time. But I'm choosing them. I'm choosing the foolish things to show the wise who I am. The B team. Twenty-two. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who he, who the Father is except the Son, and anyone. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. 
So he's speaking with his father. This is intimate language. This is a prayer that God's having or that Jesus is having with his father conversation. And then verse 23, then turning to the disciples, he said privately. So he's rejoicing and then he turns to his disciples. He says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He's like, okay, I'm excited, but now I'm going to tell you, listen here, you don't know how privileged you are. Listen here, you don't know how privileged you are. Back in the day, there was one guy weirdly dressed that was allowed to go into the most holy place. One guy. Now I've chosen you, the B team, the foolish ones, the children. And you have not, not only experienced the presence of God, you've actually walked in the presence of God. You now understand that you are, in your identity, you are changed and transformed by the presence of God, but also in your function. Don't take this for granted. People have died for this. And you just get it like this. And now you come back and you're so happy, but hey, there's more. So this is where we're at. We are the glorious church. I look at myself and I think, Yo, Omo, how can you have four kids? You're still so irresponsible. <laughs> the other day I went, to, I went to my kids like, how can I be entrusted with these four souls? So irresponsible. I climbed up that stairs up to the top yesterday and I was there at the top. I'm like, this is probably irresponsible. And my, one of my sons wanted to go with me and I said to him, no, after this service, tomorrow you can also climb up with me. That's irresponsible. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm a normal guy. I, I wear a puffer jacket to church, just like so many others. There's nothing that says you're a Christian, a South African Christian, like wearing a puffer jacket to church. I'm a normal guy. <laughs> and you're all very, very normal. But I, I live with this conviction that, is, that God has somehow placed something into Amor Kennedy And that is both identity, it's empowerment, but it's also function. And I know that God has called us not only to be church, but to actually do church. Wherever we are, to be the light, to be the salt, to be the leaven, to put ourselves in those difficult places, to trust God not only for George, but for Outswearing for the Karua, for Mossel Bay, to trust God for a nation to be changed. And I know somehow God's going to do it. And so is, you, so is you called. You are called. He is. You are. Is. I say I'm a normal person. I struggle with my tenses. 
The outsourcing people is like, what, what are they laughing at? Can the, can the band come up, please? So I want us to say yes today to, to be the called out ones, the ecclesia. And I want to give to you that simple strategy that God gave to the 72. It's very practical. Four points. God says that we must pray and then we must go. And then we must enter a household. We must enter a place. Don't only think, it's not only like a home, family dwelling. It's the place where God has sent you to. Could be your business. Could be your mother-in-law's house. Could be place of education, could be an NGO, place of influence, a household. I love it when Zacchaeus met with Jesus in his house, Jesus said the following, he said, today salvation has come to this household. And he was not only speaking to, to Zacchaeus' soul, but he was speaking to his sphere of influence. He says, Today, I've called somebody out into the light. And because of the influence and the impact that this person will have, there will be a grace for the people in his sphere of influence to also get saved and to meet with the Father. So you need to take up that authority. You need to take up that position. You start saying, peace. Children, you're going to hear it now. Peace. Colleagues, you're going to hear it. Peace. Not in a religious sense. Not like, hey, shalom, shalom, that only. That's powerful. But be the peace. Speak it whenever you enter a new territory. I love it. Runel travels a lot. She would tell me that she would go to these small career places and then she will just pray over those places. And she understands that there is a supernatural anointing for God to bring peace to the people that need peace. And then secondly, you, you find people to host you. You find people that will host two adults and four children, if you're me. And you're going to eat their food. You're in this sphere of influence. Say, hey, como es And then thirdly, you minister to them. You ask them the needs. Hey, you're struggling with anxiety. Maybe you need healing of cancer. Maybe you need a breakthrough in, in your business. They don't have to be Christian for you to ask those things. Hey, I see we, we're only eating pancakes here tonight. Maybe we can... Send some food. Are you struggling? How can I supply your needs? 
And then fourthly, you start proclaiming the kingdom of God. Because now you've studied the scriptures. You know what the kingdom of God is like. You understand that the strife in this household, the strife in this business is not the heavenly blueprint. This is not what God thought of when he thought of this household or this city or, or this place of education, this school. And you start applying those principles, teaching them. Because now you've already blessed them, you've sent the peace, and they've experienced that. It's like, hey, come back with your four children. There's so much, so much chaos, but so much peace. You've supplied their needs, you've prayed for them. And now you're sharing with them the kingdom of God. And yes, you ask them, hey, do you want to make the most important decision of your life? Do you want to meet with Jesus Christ? All of us should be able to ask that question. And then they say yes, and you're like, shucks. <laughs> I don't know what to do now. Just say, hey, let's just pray. Just give Jesus your all. Tell him he is your Lord. Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved.